hours on a Sunday morning. And that was two Sundays in a row made of that. <sighs> it's awesome. These are deep subjects that I don't want to leave just kind of hanging and dangling, or I want us to get to a logical stopping point. So um, there's a passion in my heart and excitement. And I need to ask you a big favor for everyone's sake. I need you to pray for me. Can you say amen? Amen. I need you to pray that God. Praise God. Amen. I need you to pray for me that God will give me absolute anointing, power, wisdom, and the word. I never want to come with anything other than the anointing of the word of God. Can you say amen? Amen. I also never want to come with my own understanding. I want to come with the understanding of the Spirit so that God will help open all of our minds to the Word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. So as I take these uh, times to dive into really just, this is as basic, fundamental kind of teaching as you can get. Okay? I'm not, I really doubt that I'll be preaching tonight as much as I am going to be teaching and I want to take you through what we already covered last Sunday in First Peter, but give you a little different perspective and hopefully a lot better understanding of the Word. That's the whole goal here. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Right. It's only 10 till 8. It's early. Don't lose me. Don't go to sleep only. Let's go to the Word. Praise God. Amen. Can you... Remind me, somebody, what did we compare in First Peter? What did we look for? The names, the titles and names. We look for some reference to God or Jesus in First Peter. And how many references did we find that speak of his, his office, his works, his nature, his ministry to us. You remember how many were there? 27. 27. And depending on how we count. Good memory. Praise God. <clears throat> um, how many names did we find? One. One. What is that name? Jesus. When Peter writes, he uses one name, multiple titles. Now, even the name of Jesus has prefixes, suffixes, right? Qualifiers. We see him called Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Does that lessen the power of Jesus' name? No. We just sing that hymn, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. Uh, do you have to baptize in the name of Jesus of Nazareth? The name of Jesus, right? Of Nazareth simply describes where he was, where he grew up, if you will. Uh, that was his, uh, they associated him with Nazareth. So, uh, kind of to distinguish between who's who, sometimes they would call him Jesus of Nazareth, just like they would call him many times the Son of Man or the Son of God. Same person, different roles, different titles, um, and they describe him that way. So, some of the things that are used in First Peter chapter, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, um, first of all, sorry, we started up in First uh, Timothy, right? Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, 
invisible, the only wise God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And that never mentions the word Jesus in that verse, but do we know who it's talking about? Of course, it's Jesus Christ. So if I tell you, if I ask you, who is the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, what's your answer going to be? Jesus Christ. Um, but if I ask you his name, are you going to tell me king, eternal, immortal, invisible? No. You're going to tell me his name, Jesus. Okay. Um, in First Peter, we see him called God. We see him called the Father. We see him called Spirit. Then we see him called God and Father. Then we see him called Lord, God again. Or maybe those Lord God, they kind of all the together for one. And we see a spirit of Christ. We see him called Christ. We see him called Holy Ghost, Father, Chief Cornerstone, Shepherd, Bishop, Lord God, Spirit of Glory, Creator, and not just Shepherd, but Chief Shepherd. All of these titles, terms to describe Jesus Christ are found in First Peter. I need a picture taken of this, please. I'm going to erase this. Can you take a picture and get it up on the screen over here? Upload it to your file quickly, quickly, quickly. Quick yeah, All right. You in First Peter chapter 1? Everyone there? First Peter chapter 1. All right. Uh, sir. You made a comment about if someone, if unto the king, um, immortal, and you said if you were immortal, that means that you didn't have uh, a beginning. That's eternal. Eternal well, means no beginning, no end. Immortal means you cannot die. Um, okay. So, so it doesn't say on this one, you erased it, it doesn't say the king eternal. Now, unto the king eternal, immortal, okay, invisible. Okay, so the point I'm making because okay, I just want to, I know what you were saying about what. Well, they're tied together here, okay? Where you said, okay, if he's eternal, it's unto the king eternal, right? And those were the descriptions of Jesus, right? But if you said if he was eternal, then he had no beginning, right? But then you did say that Jesus was born, so therefore he wasn't eternal. Remember you said that? I said the Son of God was born. Yes. The Son of God was born. Okay, so <clears throat> so is this like part of the the mystery of Godliness that he he was eternal? Are you going? Are you going, going with this? Hold that question because I'm going to answer it. Okay. <laughs> I will answer it if I don't remind you, but we will answer it. Okay, well, you know where I'm going with this. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. And that's why, as much fun as I had, hopefully you had some fun, as much fun as I had going through First Peter chapter 1, 
and identifying all of these nouns, pronouns, describing Jesus Christ. Um, it can be confusing. Let's start out real quick. We look in 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of whom? God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you. Peace be multiplied. It mentions three terms there. God the Father. Spirit, Jesus Christ. One God, one Spirit, who revealed himself to us in the flesh until his work of sacrifice was done, that he was glorified, was taken up into heaven, and returned once again to us as the eternal spirit that he always is. And say was, because he is. I am who I am. So, what is important now is to not understand just the titles versus the name, which we established very clearly there's only one name mentioned in First Peter in, in reference to God, and that is Jesus Christ. A lot of titles. Now we have to understand the role that these titles or the name refers to. If you don't understand the role, you won't understand the titles. We have the eternal spirit of God. Here I am. I already have the race and start over. We have the eternal spirit of God. In the beginning, what happens? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God, help me out. In the beginning, God created, God created the heaven and the earth. Who created? God. God. What God? Jesus Christ. We know there's only one God. What role of God? How do we know him in the work of creation? The word was what he used to create, but who created all things? Scripture says by Jesus Christ, through him, everything was created. But somebody created everything. When we say God, who do we think of as the creator? Jehovah. Jehovah. Everyone agree that God is Jehovah? Mm -hmm. Also, you can call him Yahweh. Right? Which comes from the YHVH. Holy name, holy letters. If you're a scholar, Tetragrammaton. Um, which phonetically would be Yahweh, or as we translate most of the Old Testament, Jehovah. Um, who, who else do we think of in Genesis 1 and 1? In the beginning, God 
created the heavens and the earth. Would you say that he is God the Father? Yes. Anyone disagree? I agree entirely because he is the Father of all creation. Would you agree that he is the eternal spirit? God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. What does a spirit not have? Flesh or bones. Spirit is ethereal. Spirit is immaterial, if you will. It's invisible. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible. Was Jesus Christ visible? Yes. Yes. So when you talk about the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, we know he's talking about Jesus Christ. Yes. First Timothy, let's go there real quick. My word for this. Not this means. First Timothy. First Timothy one seventeen. Actually, go back to, where do you start? Verse 14. You there? First Timothy 1, 14. Mm-hmm. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in whom? Jesus. Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that whom? Christ. Jesus Christ came uh, into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. All right. How be it? Verse 16. How be it? For this cause I obtained mercy that in me first, whom? Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Who's he talking about? Jesus Christ. Christ. He's not switching gears when he goes into verse 17. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honoring glory forever and ever. Amen. Will you stipulate that he's talking about Jesus Christ? First Peter. First Peter. One. One. First Timothy one. Oh, first Timothy, oh, okay. That's different, right? Okay, all right, all right. 14, 15, 16, 17. Okay. Okay. Would anyone disagree that he's talking about Jesus Christ when he says, Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God? Any disagreement? How many agree that he's talking about Jesus? Praise God. Okay, good. Get with me here. He's talking about Jesus when he says now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible. Was Jesus Christ invisible? Invisible. Was he invisible? Pardon me? During his life and ministry on the earth, was he invisible? No. Was he? Was he? Was he immortal? Hold on. What happened on the cross? Somebody died on the cross. Don't tell me that he didn't die. There are heretics that will tell you that he was just comatose. And after three days, he stumbled out of the great house. How? They can't explain. 
He didn't really die. And he didn't really write. No, he died and he was buried and he rose again. Amen. Was Jesus Christ immortal? Yes. Help me out. What does immortal mean? Cannot die. Did Jesus Christ die? He died. Therefore, was he immortal? No. Now you're confusing me, Pastor. Hang on. Hang on. Bear with me. We know he's talking about Jesus. And yet, he specifically says that he was invisible and immortal. Now unto the king eternal. Was the flesh of Jesus Christ eternal? No. What happened when the spirit of God overshadowed Mary? Life was created inside of Mary. Mary was a virgin. We're adults. Not going to go into details. There was no way humanly that Mary could be pregnant. But you see, God caused life to be born in her. A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. You will call his name Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Mix in a couple of verses there, be God. So Jesus Christ in the flesh was neither eternal, nor immortal, nor invisible. And yet he is called the king. Eternal, immortal, and invisible. Why? That's where you were going, right? God has revealed to us in the Old Testament as the eternal spirit of God. He's called God. He's called Lord in capitals. Sometimes it's Lord in lowercase. What happens when they print Lord in all capitals? What does that mean? Anyone know? When the translators translated from the original Hebrew text, and you see it printed in King James Version and other versions as well, and they put Lord with a big capital L and the small caps, O-R-D, they're all capitals. That is the word Jehovah. If you read that same exact verse in Spanish, you guys that speak Spanish, it says Jehovah. Jehovah. So the translators, and I mentioned this in passing a couple of times, uh, the, the scribes, the Jewish scribes, rightfully considered the name of Jehovah, Yahweh, or YHVH, the Tetragrammaton, to be so holy, pardon? Before they added that. Exactly, yeah. So the, the, the pronunciation comes out. Right. That right. Right. Exactly. So they consider that so holy that if I were the scribe and I wrote Jehovah or YHVH, I would throw away the pen. Never reuse it again. Because they did not want to defile the name of Jehovah. A lot of that carried over into the translators of the King James Version. And you see the word Jehovah replaced by the word Lord in capitals. 
So he's referred to as God, he referred to as Lord in capitals, he referred to him Lord with lowercase capital L. He referred to as Jehovah. Newer translation will call him Yahweh. Original text, YHVH. We know him as God the Father. When does the term God the Father appear in scripture? Somebody. Do a Google quickly. Don't make me look it up myself. Do a Google. Come on, I want you to get involved. <laughs> Google always tells the truth. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, right. like Search God the Father and tell me where it first appears. Uh, I have a question too long way. <laughs> You're going to distract me, make me lose my thought. Well, we'll keep, we'll keep going. You thought. Okay. I won't. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, Exodus 4 22 to 23. What does it say? Keep looking. Come on, somebody else. Sure, you can look up a Google search. Back in the day when we had concordances, right? God the Father's title given to God in various this is probably Christianity mainstream. Blah, 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 blah. Those are just mumblings yeah. about, yeah, I don't want to know where the verses are. They call him God the Father. No, I've got one here says, What is God the Father in the Trinity? I'm looking for scripture. <laughs> I know on this. Um, Did you find Exodus, sir? What did you find in Exodus? Brother Bell, what did you find in Exodus? Well, see, in Exodus it says that here that he told, well, it says here, then you would tell him, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, but it was stating that he was better than that he was. Okay, so it alludes to the fact that he is our father, Israel is my firstborn son, metaphorically speaking, right? Did God actually give birth to Israel like a woman gives birth to a child? No, but the the allegory is there, right? So that's talking about his role as the father. Thank you. That's good. There's one verse that says Psalms 68.5. What does it say? Uh, it declares that God is the father of fatherless. Father of the fatherless. That's good. Again, it speaks to his role as our father. Yes? Right? And I'm looking for the specific term. God the Father. It says the first passage where God represents himself as Father of Israel is Exodus 4. Exodus 4, 22-23. That's where he says that the Father of Israel, but doesn't use the term God, God the Father. Right. I want to know where it first references God the Father. Okay, good. But that's still referencing his role. Oh God, you are our father. That's great. That's awesome. Again, it's the role of father. I'm looking for the, what people say is the name. I submit to you as the title, but I want to know where that term appears. God, the father. There's a piece in scoring six. Ephesians 4.6, read Ephesians 4.6. One God and Father of all, 
who is above all and through all and in you all. So God and Father, getting closer. Some would still say God and Father. I'm looking for God the Father. First Corinthians 2 6. First Corinthians 8 6. I'm sorry, First Corinthians 8 6. I think so. Say it. Read it. Uh, yet for us there is but one God, the Father. There's a comma in there, but I'll accept it. God, comma, the Father. Good. Sorry to interrupt there. What does he have, George? I'll say the same one. Same one, Elder? Uh, Philippians 2.11. Read it, please. And every time declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh! We have a winner! <laughs> Thank you! <laughs> Will everyone agree that he is referred to as God the Father? How many times is he referred to as God the Father? That's where now? Ephesians what? Philippians 2.11. 2, 11. 2 11. Galatians 1, three. Read it. Galatians 1.3. Now he's, he's, he's on the right sentence. <laughs> May God the Father and our Lord Jesus May God the Father and, and our Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, Christ give you grace Give you grace and peace. That is what is known as the apostolic greeting. There's an apostolic benediction. There's the opening and there's the closing. You read Paul's writings. He starts out usually referencing God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Occasionally he speaks of the Spirit. Most of the times when he's closing, you get into uh, the other writers, they start using similar closings many times, and uh, they start talking about God and Jesus Christ, and then they just kind of just end up with Jesus Christ. But we have a winner. Where is Philippians found? In what part of the Bible? Say it again. New Testament. Where is Ephesians found? New Testament. New Testament. Where is 1 Corinthians found? New Testament. New Testament. I ask you a straight question. Is God the Father ever used as a term for God in the Old Testament? You think there's a reason for that? You better believe there is a reason for that. And it's very simple. You know why? Because in the Old Testament, he is God. He is Jehovah. He is the Spirit, the eternal Spirit. He is Yahweh. He is God. No one knew him in any other way than God. In the New Testament, God was revealed in the flesh. And to us who are so blinded in our minds, us, humanity, when we saw Jesus Christ, did we recognize who he was? No. What do they call him? Son of the carpenter. Kind of a demeaning little brush off. Illegitimate son of the carpenter. Eventually they came to know the son of God. Because Jesus Christ himself referred to himself as the Son of God. He refers to himself as the Son of Man. Because he needs to tell you what you're seeing here, Philip. 
How long have you been with me and you still don't know me? If you have seen me, who have you seen? You have seen the Father who cannot be seen. He is invisible. He is a spirit. He is God, Jehovah, God the Father. I need you to know, Jesus says, who you believe in. I need you to understand that I am the Son of God. Pause. I will give $100 on the spot to anyone who can find one place in the entire Bible, in the King James Version, that uses the term God the Son. Do you like to search? <laughs> You're wasting your time. The scripture never uses the term God the Son. Nor does it use the term God the Holy Ghost. Fact. So, back to 1 Timothy 1. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, we know he's talking about Jesus. Yes. But we also know that Jesus was never, neither invisible, nor eternal, nor immortal. And I say that carefully because you've got to understand that when we talk about Jesus, there is a dual component to this revelation of God in the flesh. When they saw Jesus... They saw truly a human being. They saw a man who was born of a woman. Galatians 4 says that. Born under the law. He came in under the customs of the Jews. He was raised as the son of a carpenter. They took this child to the temple when he was just a young lad. And he amazed the teachers of the temple with his incredible wisdom about the scriptures. Why could he amaze the teachers of the law? Because he wrote the law. Wait, he? Who he? The flesh? That 19-year-old boy? No. The spirit of almighty God who was in that young boy wrote the law. So when you say Jesus... We've got to stop and ask, what role is he in? What are you talking about when you say Jesus? Are you talking about the flesh, the visible revelation of God to man that was given specifically as a sacrifice for our sins? Or are you speaking of the eternal God who revealed himself in that body of flesh? You can't separate Jesus from God or God from Jesus. He is God, but he is man. You want a mystery make your head hurt? I'll make your head hurt. But then who can understand God himself? What we don't understand does not rise to the level of significance of that which we do understand. Remember, when God uses the word mystery, he always gives us the answer. Again, fact. So when he says great is the mystery of godliness, he didn't say mystery of the Godhead. He said the mystery of godliness. What does godliness mean? What does godliness mean? To be like God. Yes. 
in the sense of redemption, in the sense of washing, in the sense of regeneration. So godliness is where we receive the righteousness of God as children of God to all that received it. Them gave he power to become the sons of God. The mystery of godliness, not the Godhead, the mystery of godliness, Paul says, it's, it's unfathomable that the eternal God would love us enough for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The mystery is how he did it, why he did it. Paul says, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God who? Who's God? Who's God? You could just as easily translate that Jehovah was manifest in the flesh. You could say Yahweh was manifest in the flesh. Are you ready for this? You could say God the Father was manifest in the flesh. This is God who we're talking about when we say God. But he was manifest in the flesh. We now have a second role with which we have to understand God. Not just eternal spirit, but now we have flesh. When Paul writes and says, now unto the king, who's the king of kings? Jesus. Who's the Lord of lords? Jesus. Of course. They knew who he was talking about. He first, all those verses, right, of leaving, he's talking about Jesus Christ. And then he calls him the king, and they recognized him as the king. In fact, what was the placard that they put over his head on the cross? Jesus Christ, king of the Jews. Now unto the king, he is the king. And he's eternal, and he's immortal, and he's invisible, although he's not eternal, not immortal, not invisible. How? Because the Spirit of God is eternal. The Spirit of God is immortal. The Spirit of God is invisible. But the flesh in which he revealed himself was none of those things. Yes? There is a reference that that you read that's in the Bible I think it's worth mentioning why Jesus came in the flesh and it said for a pattern to us mm -hmm. <clears throat> do you have that can you find that someone look it up look for pattern while Brother Richard asks the question Sir. Uh, I know it says so I, I've seen it before it's in Corinthians first and second I can't remember right now but it says that there's going to come a time when Jesus is going to lay down his robe and turn all the power back over to. Not in so many words, but it alludes to that, yes. Okay. Now, one, I mean, that's heavy where you've got the flesh, you know what I mean? That, that's that, that time, because we hardly ever talk about that. That's yeah. actually. It is powerful, but it's not difficult to understand. Where well, he's going to lay down. Hang, 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 hang that question. 
Same same answer I'm getting there. Okay. So hold that question. All right. Do you find the word the pattern in the question? The the reference to pattern? Anyone? Come on, Google experts. I'll have my cell phone in the trailer. That's fine. We got Google men right here. Come on, go Google, Google, Google. Anything about pattern? Elder, do you have a concordance in that Bible? Mm-hmm. You have a concordance in that Bible? You that find the word pattern. That's some, they'll find the word pattern. Find that reference, we'll come back to that. Okay. No, okay. And then my other question was, and this is probably a sidebar, was how did the Jehovah Witness? I come on the Jehovah's Witnesses. That's for okay. the different night, different thing. Okay. okay. All right. We're talking God. I know. We're talking. Right. I just want to keep the focus here. Okay. okay. All right. All right. So, in the Old Testament, God, Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, God the Father. Was he actually called God the Father in the Old Testament? No, New Testament. Up till here, these terms are the Old Testament. We find him being redefined, if you will, explained further in the New Testament. And we call out the roles now because God is manifest in the flesh. And we see him, and we see a human being. And yet we see the same human being raising the dead and opening blinded eyes and casting out devils and breaking bread and fishes and doing all the miracles that are astounding. And people rightfully said, no man can do this. Pharisees asking, how do you do this? You don't do this by the finger of God. You do this by the power of the devil. They refused to acknowledge that Jesus could be doing things that only God could do. Because to the Jew, that was heresy. They thought Jesus was trying to replace God. No, he's not trying to replace God. He is that God that they believed in, but could never see. Now revealed to them in a human form. You with me so far? We have that reference. It says, uh, 1 Timothy 1.16, How be it for this cause, I will take mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to live everlasting. Okay, so that pattern is actually talking about the longsuffering of God towards mankind demonstrated in Paul, chief of all sinners. So that pattern is salvation and his mercy, not uh, the, the role or, or nature of God. Good there? Little nuance there. You can come back to that later if you want to. Okay, quickly. We have the Spirit. We've all agreed. Eternal God, Jehovah, the Spirit. We now have the flesh. John 3.16. Who can quote that for me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Who did God give? Who did God give? And did he give his son or did he give his only begotten son? If the word When 
It says, when God so loved the world, that world, the word world translated into the love of mankind. Yes. Yeah. That's the word. He's using the word world as in men, not in the world as Humanity. mountains and trees. His creation. <clears throat> Check the air pictures very Give me a second while I go to the dictionary. I look for the definition of the word begotten. Guess what dictionary.com answers? A past participle of beget. <laughs> so let's go see the word beget. So according to vocabulary.com, begotten is an adjective of offspring generated by procreation. An offspring generated by procreation. procreation. Dictionary.com also uses it as a verb, begot or begat, begotten or begot, begetting, okay? Definition, especially of a male parent, to procreate or generate offspring. Human beings are born through a process called what? Pro-creation. Do we have the power to create, by the way? Can yeah, any of us create anything? Well, no, no, we can't create anything, <laughs> but we can think of things. But no, we can't create. We can't create anything. But we can pro-create. Create. We can create on behalf of somebody else. God, who began creation, gave us the power and ability through genetics, through biological process, to carry on the work of his creation. So we are not the creators. There's only one creator, and that is the Father, God. Yes? Procreation means that somebody, a male DNA, joined with female DNA. Yes? And caused life to be born. Carried to term, born, delivered into this world. That's a beginning. We are all called the sons of God, children of God, if you will, not being sexist. But there is only one begotten of the Father. Only one time did God cause procreation to occur by his power. Garden of Eden, it was not procreation. It was creation. In Jesus Christ, this was Procreation. He was begotten of the Father. John 1, verse 1, read it quickly. And then verse 14, who has that quickly, quickly? You can quote it, but read it. Say John 1, verse 1? Yeah, you got it. Yes, read sir. it. We proclaim to you the one who assisted from the beginning, whom we heard and seen. We have seen him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. What this, version are you reading from, Elder? Oh, that's a new version. Okay, let's do King James. Just keep it consistent here. You got to read it. In the beginning was the Word. Was the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word was God. Don't let your brain break. We'll get to that. <laughs> keep going. Verse 14. 
And the word was made flesh. And the word was made flesh. How was he made flesh? He was begotten in a human biological process. Human on his mother's side. This which was born of Mary was not eternal. That body began about nine months before procreation and was delivered into this world as a living, breathing, crying little baby. And you shall call his name Jesus. He was called Jesus. He began there. Literally, his body was born, created and born, or procreated and born. Now, Psalms and other references talk about you prepared a body for me, says the prophecy. Some will say that means the body of Jesus Christ existed before he was born. No, the body of Jesus Christ was procreated, begotten, and born of a virgin. That body was flesh. I didn't say is, because after his resurrection, what happened to him? He was glorified. Mary, don't touch me. I've not yet been glorified. His body underwent a transformation. Doesn't describe how that happened, but it does describe how ours will undergo that same transformation. When we will see him, we will be caught up in the air. We will see him and we will be changed. Hallelujah. This mortal will put on immortality. This corruptible will dress itself in incorruptible. We will be like him. Amen. Mary, don't touch me. This hasn't happened yet. But when it did happen, his body was no longer that same human flesh that we knew for about 33 and a half years. You couldn't kill him if you tried after his resurrection, after his glorification. He could eat. He could cook fish on the fire. He could walk and talk. He could also walk through walls. Yeah. That's not any rare, ever normal human being. This is the glorified body of Christ. Okay? So he was human from his procreation until that moment he was glorified. Is he still the Son of God? Yeah. But is he flesh now? No. That role was given to mankind out of the great love of God. God said, I love you so much. I'm going to give you my only begotten son. And you read all the other scriptures. It says God was revealed manifest in the flesh. God said, I'm going to dress myself in flesh. I'm going to live among you. You're not even going to recognize me. Verse 14 again. And the word was made flesh, was made flesh and dwelt, among, dwelt us, among us, and we beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of, of the begotten Father, of the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. The same chapter says he came into his own, his own received him not. We didn't recognize the very God of glory. 
who walked among us. All we could see, human beings, all we could see was a flesh. And Jesus went to great pains to explain to them over and over and over. I am the Father. One. How can you be one? How can you speak in terms of duality and yet be one? Because the Father is what? Spirit. Spirit. And the Son is? Flesh. Flesh. And the Spirit of God was in that flesh and became the Son of God. Not God the Son. The Son of God. I found the word pattern. We did too. Where's yours? Uh, it's Exodus 25 and 9. That's the tabernacle? Yes. Okay, so that's the tabernacle, which is a pattern of things to come, right? Yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll skip that right now. We're, we were looking for a pattern in connection with the one I'm talking about here, the role in nature of Jesus Christ. Well, Let's get back to this. Pardon? Well, it, it, it has an action, how the end of the have I think first Timothy one sixteen, I think that's what he wrote. What he read. That was the New Testament one. Patterns, yes. Yeah, and then in Hebrews it says, Who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see that he see saith he that thou make all things according to the pattern showed unto yes. thee in the mount. Again, I can preach Acts 2.38 out of yeah. Exodus. Right. Right? But again, that's not talking about this that I'm trying to go okay. across okay. Let's focus on this. Okay. That, that's the only word in pattern yeah. that is. Okay. Do you agree that Jesus Christ was flesh? Yes. Yes? Yes. yes. You're right. Um, and did he have flesh? Did he have bones? Yes. Yeah. Not spirit. Although the Spirit of God was in him. When, back to where we started, let's go back quickly now to 1 Peter, where we started all this. 1 Peter 1. When John, when Paul, when Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John, when Peter, when Jude, when James, who am I missing there? You know the writers. When they write these letters to the churches, when they write these accounts of the gospel, when they write this record of God, revelation to us, his ministry, his love, his grace, they take great pains for us to understand who he is. And as they write, it is glorious to watch how they bring out the fact, hey, Jews, the Hebrews, hey, Galatians, hey, Corinthians, hey, whoever, you need to be absolutely confident in your faith and understand that when I talk to you about Jesus Christ, he's not an interloper. He's not a wannabe. He's not a pretender. He's God. But at the same time, he was that sacrifice of flesh that died on the cross, shed his blood. First Peter 1. 
Elect according, verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of whom? God the Father. God the Father. Who's God the Father? Yes. He is the eternal spirit of God. By the way, how many spirits are there? According to Ephesians, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. What else? How do you say how many spirits? Find that for me quickly. Read it for me. Ephesians 4. I don't want to just quote out. I want you to hear it. Yeah, first Peter what that. now? And first Peter 1. Okay. Verse 2. Read, please. Ephesians 4. Okay. What verse do you want? I have four. Read. Read. Um, there is one body. There's how many bodies? One, one body. And body of. Oh, wait, wait. What body is he talking about? Jesus' actual physical body? The church. Talking about the church, the, the body of Christ. Go ahead. And one spirit. One body and what? Spirit. One spirit. One spirit. How many spirits? One. Sorry for being pedantic, but I ask again, how many spirits? One. One spirit. Who is that spirit? God is that spirit, it says. Yes. Do we agree that God is that spirit? Yes. yes. How many spirits are there? One. one. Keep that in mind. Keep that thought. Then it says one Lord. One faith. One baptism. One baptism. Pattern. One. 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 You've got to understand, church. I'm talking to you about Jesus Christ. I'm writing these letters, these epistles about Jesus Christ. He's not just a pretender. He's God. But he's also our Savior. You see, they knew him in the Old Testament as God the Father, or the Father of creation, rather. They knew him as that spirit eternal, yes, invisible, yes, immortal, yes, king, yes, all these things, yes. But they had no relationship with God. Before Jesus Christ, we did not know God. We knew of him. But he revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ. That was where true knowledge of God first began. Even though he revealed himself to the prophets, through Psalms, through uh, you know, temporary manifestations of God, human form, theophanies. Um, he, he, re, he tried to reveal himself to us, but we still only knew him as the invisible, untouchable spirit of God. When he came as the son of God, we began to know him. Jesus Christ is the express image. What does Hebrews say? He is the express image of his person. Is Can a spirit have a person, by the way? If you're going to use that term, the Hebrews uses the person of God. We know that God is invisible. But Jesus Christ is the express image of his person. So that person of God, which is unseen, the spirit of God, is now seen expressly represented in Jesus Christ. It's still one. Still one. <laughs> the invisible made visible. Remember the Play-Doh that we have over here? I pressed my hand into it. Could you see my hand when I took it away? No. 
Could you see what my hand looked like? Right. Yeah. Could you even with a good microscope see the handprints and the fingerprints? Yes. Mm -hmm. You know what my hand looked like if you saw that imprint. And you could take me to a court of law and say, that's my handprint. Why? Because it's tied to what I left behind on it. Jesus Christ is the express image of the invisible God. So churches, when I write to you, says the writers, you've got to understand that I'm talking to you about God, but you know him as Jesus, and he died on the cross for your sins. So when I talk to you about God, I'm going to give you terms that make you think of God as either the creator, as the eternal spirit, or I'm going to tell you that he is that human being that you learned to love and know for those years as Jesus Christ. And we'll call him the son of God. And we'll call him the lamb of God. We'll even call him the son of man. We'll use terms that refer to his role so that when you're thinking of him, you're thinking of him in the role that I want you to think of him as. We used several Sundays ago, I brought up several folks, right? And I put name, tick, not names, titles on people, depending on what they, what roles they have, right? Are you a mom? Are you a grandma? Are you a great grandma? Are you a sister? Are you a daughter? Are, were you a wife? Uh, were you an aunt? Great aunt? <laughs> The list just keeps going, yes? So to you, family, if I want to talk to you about Sister Ibarra's role as the matriarch, I'm going to talk about great-grandkids because that connects you to the greats and the grands and the kids and the whole family. If I'm just looking at you guys, I'm going to talk to you about the mom. When I talk to you about mom, you think of her as mom. Your mind doesn't immediately go to the great grandkids. It goes to you as daughters, sons, yes? I use the term to put you in the frame that I want people to think about you as. With me? When I write to you about God, when I want you to know him as the eternal spirit creator, Father of all things, I'll call him God the Father. But when I want you to think of his shed blood, when I want you to think of his sacrifice, of his redemption, I'm going to call him the Son of God. And when you hear those terms, your mind is going to automatically go to either the role of God as Father and Creator of all things, or I'm going to take you straight to the Savior of your soul. You ready? Verse 2. First Peter 1. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God the Father, the creator of all things, who is eternal. He knew about you before you were ever born. Yes? Mm -hmm. I'm making you think of God in his eternal role. And his majesty, his power, his knowledge. Through sanctification of the spirit. I 
could get off on that again. And one more time, how many spirits are there? If God the Father's spirit, and we're talking about a different spirit, we've got a problem. It's the same God. And it's the same spirit. But when he uses the term spirit with capital, he's talking about the comforter. He's talking about the... Um, what is the word? I'm not the advocate, the comforter. He's talking about um, the spirit of Christ. Yes. That was described in first Peter later on. It says the spirit of Christ. So the, the spirit is referred to in different ways. It's the same spirit. But when I talk to you about just the spirit with a capital S standalone, the spirit of the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Ghost. We think of what came to us on the day of Pentecost. Jesus promised it. He said, I go, but I'll come back to you. I'm with you, but now I'll be in you. Father will send the comforter in my name. Again, they're, they're trying to correlate this invisible God with this visible man. Hey, when I'm done with my role as your redeemer, i.e. my blood is shed, I'm buried, and I rise again victorious. Then I'm going to move as your God into a different phase of relationship. I thank God that Jesus doesn't have to be crucified every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. He was crucified once. He died once for the sins of all men. The role of the Son is encapsulated primarily in redemption. But he said, now I'm going away from you. <clears throat> be taken up into heaven. But I'm going to come back to you. And you shall receive power. Come on. And you shall receive power. power after what? After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. When I come in the spirit form again, I'm going to come with power. Mm -hmm. And they write over and over about the sanctifying power of the Holy Ghost. Friend, he's called the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, because it is all about holiness and power. So when Peter writes, he says, I write to you, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, that's the eternal spirit who knows all things and had this plan laid out from the beginning. And I call you who are through the sanctification of the spirit. Thank God that you receive the power of the Holy Ghost, which has sanctified you in your walk with God. Unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ. Because you see, we all need a redeemer. We all need a savior. We all need the Lamb of God. He's not talking about multiples, friend. He's talking about the same God who had his knowledge of all things, who came in his son and sprinkled his own blood and then finished the work through the sanctification of the Spirit. Now, he's talking about the sprinkling of blood. That takes us all the way back to the tabernacle. Yes, Thank <laughs> you. 
You knew him as the eternal spirit of God. He was revealed to you in the flesh. And now he came back to you in the spirit of Almighty God. See the pattern? Invisible spirit became flesh for a time and is back in the role of the spirit. I ask you, is his body still flesh? No. When we get to heaven, we will still see Jesus Christ. Will he look exactly like he looked to his disciples when he walked with them on the earth? Probably not. Did John see Jesus in Revelation? Yeah. Did he look anything like no. what he did when he was in his ministry? Mm -hmm. No. Because his human work is done. Will we see him like he looked at him? I don't know. It doesn't say. Because it describes him in his glorified form as a human being. They recognize him. And yet John sees him in his glorified power. And he's white hair and eyes of flame. And all this glorious God. So understand there will always now be a visible component of the invisible God. But it's not the flesh. It's the glorified body that we will see. Because God said, I prepared a body. And this body will not see corruption. When the blood was shed, when he was buried, when he rose again, the work of that body was done. But he didn't throw it away. Thank God. He glorified it. And he is he carries that body in heaven. It's the only visible thing sitting on the only visible throne. I saw Jesus sitting on the throne. I saw the Lamb sitting on the throne. One God revealed in all of these different ways. So when you see these words in 1 Peter 1, and I am finishing. <sighs> Blessed be the God and Father. Who's he wanting to think of? Eternal Spirit. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I also want you to think about your creator, your redeemer. Your creator, but also your redeemer. I'm talking to you about the God that loved you enough to, before the foundation of the world, he already had a plan for Jesus Christ. But he also loved you enough to actually become man. That's Jesus Christ. When he talks about God, again, this is a generic word that can apply to any of his forms. Same God. And when it talks about Verse 11, 1 Peter 1, 11, the spirit of Christ. Again, how many spirits? One. <laughs> that spirit can be seen or seen, perceived as the eternal spirit of God, the Father. It can be seen in the Son and the spirit of Jesus Christ. It can be seen in the Holy Ghost, his own spirit, that the Father sends in his name. Um Verse 17, if you call on the Father, think about the eternal spirit of God, the creator. Verse 22, you've purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit. Friend, it's the spirit who has purified your soul's sanctification power in the Holy Spirit of God. And you can go through all of this writing, not just for Peter. You can go through every book of the Bible, New Testament, and when they write, look at what the, the context, what they're trying to bring out. 
and understand that just like I could say Senator Joseph Biden is he still a senator? No. No. Or did they call him senator until the time he was elected president? Yes. Because he held that role and he's known for his many, many years of work in the Senate. Yes. Did Joe Biden get reincarnated when he was elected? No. Oh, same Joe. Unfortunately. <laughs> but then for a while they knew him as president elect, Joe Biden. Do they call him senator much anymore? No. no. Because now he's in a different role. Same person. In a different role. When he was sworn in as president of the United States, what do they call him now? President, president Joe Biden. Do they call him Senator Joe? No. no. Do they call him president-elect? No. no. Because he's now in a different role. Someday, God tarries. He's going to have another role. What's he going to be called? Ex-president <laughs> Joe Biden. Same person. <laughs> but if I describe to you right now, I say Senator Biden, what years of his life am I talking about? 40 some odd years, right? If I say President-elect Biden, what period of time do I take you to? Not now, between November 4th and January 20th, right? 20th, 20th, thank you. If I say President Biden, where does that take you? Everything after January 20th. Until he is no longer president, and then he will be same person, same name, different roles. Different titles. Peter's not talking about different gods, right? If he were, we'd have 27 different gods over here. Two or three over here. Same God. Your question earlier? Repeat your question earlier. Did I answer it? Well, I have several questions. We're talking about the uh, eternal. Eternal. The King, eternal, immortal, invisible. I did answer that. Again, his flesh was neither eternal, immortal, nor invisible. But the spirit of Almighty God, who is in him, revealed in him, not a separate part of him, he is him. That's the king, eternal, immortal, invisible. But when they looked at him, they called him Jesus. So by default, Jesus is not the king, eternal, more invisible, but he is the king, eternal, more invisible. <laughs> Different roles of God revealed in flesh. Questions, quickly. It's almost nine o'clock. Did this help? The roles, not just the names or titles, although the names and titles in themselves are powerful. The roles. Now, there are a lot of different scenarios that I want to explore. Okay? We've touched on Genesis 1. I want to go into depth of Genesis 1. God said, let us, what? Let us make man in our, in our image. 
And then how many men did he create? One. In whose image? In his image. So either he changed his mind or he's using figure of speech. Or he's referring to himself in the multiple roles and characteristics of himself. The proof of the pudding is always what comes out. You can mix up that cake mix all day long and tell me it's going to be a chocolate cake. Yes? When it comes out of the oven, if it's white, yellow, and it has pineapple on top of it, on the bottom of it, is it a chocolate cake? No. What kind of cake is it? Pineapple upside down cake. The proof of the recipe is what comes out of the recipe. God said, let us make man in our image. How many men did he create? One. In whose image? One. Says so. So, uh, we, we took that through baptism. Yes, Matthew 20, 19. We're going to revisit that. In the light of this, where you understand that when he's talking, when Matthew writes in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, he's telling you, it's the name of the eternal God revealed to us in his son and who's coming to you in the power of the Holy Ghost. That's the name that you're going to be baptizing in. And again, what's the proof? There's the recipe. What came out of the recipe every single time they baptized or it's recorded how they baptized in the book of Acts. What does the recipe come out with? In the name of Jesus Christ. They did not make a mistake. They didn't mess up the recipe, my friend. If they messed up the recipe of baptism, then they messed up every single recipe and throw your Bible away and walk away from it. Luke says in his name. John references redemption in his name. Uh, Matthew, Mark says, believe in him, baptized shall be saved. It talks about baptism. It talks about remission of sins. It's the same words that are used when Peter stood and said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. I don't care how you write down the recipe. You can tell me, put five cups of pioneer white stuff. Who buys pioneer white stuff? Anyone ever bought pioneer white stuff? You bought pioneer white stuff. If the recipe says five cups of pioneer white stuff, and Sister Rosa writes down the same recipe, says no, 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 it's five cups of flour. Are we okay? I call it pioneer white stuff. She called it flour. It's the same thing. And when you go to making the cake, you're going to get five cups of. You understand what he's saying. You put it into practice. In every one of these cases, we're going to go to the baptism of Jesus Christ. The baptism of Jesus Christ. I'm really, I'm finishing the one. That's the deep subject all in, all in, in and of itself. The baptism of Jesus Christ is amazing and glorious. What was the purpose of the baptism of Jesus Christ? Quickly, just start thinking about this. 
Did Jesus Christ get baptized because he had sins that needed to be washed away? No. No, of course not. He was without sin. Uh, what was the baptism of John for? What does the Bible say the baptism of John is for? It was baptism unto repentance. Did Jesus Christ need to repent? No. You don't need to repent if you haven't sinned. What did Jesus tell John? Because John said, dude, sir, Lord, no. I need to be baptized by you, not you by me. What did Jesus say? We need to fulfill all righteousness. I don't need to be baptized. I don't have sins to be washed away. But you know what? You need to be baptized. Righteousness says you need to be baptized. So I will comply with baptism to show you that it's necessary to be baptized. And he's baptized. When he comes out of the water, what does the scripture say happen quickly? Quickly. It's the spirit of God. Oh, first it says that the Oh, the, yeah, I heard a, a voice from heaven saying this is my... It says that the heavens were opened. Yeah. Actually, you're right first. The Spirit of God descends on him. How? As a dove. Like as a dove. Like as a dove. And the heavens are opened, and he hears a voice from heaven that says what? This is my son, for my will please. One translation, one part says, this is my son whom I will please. And another writing says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Does that invalidate the baptism of Jesus? Because there are two different words there. No. Different writers, different things. By the way, who heard that voice? John the Baptist. Who heard that voice? John the Baptist. Who heard that voice? Everyone heard that voice. Who understood that voice? Oh, John the Baptist. All these short questions. Yeah, yeah they sound sound like thunder. They said it sounded like thunder. Yeah, was God giving like the masses a sign, or was God giving John Baptist a sign? John Baptist. John Baptist. This was for John Baptist. Mm -hmm. If it had been for everybody, everyone would have understood what God said. They knew something was happening. John is the one that heard and saw. And again, I'm going to, we'll go into depth with this. But I ask you, how many does it say were represented at the baptism of Jesus Christ? Does it say how many were represented? It shows Jesus Christ who is the Son of God, yes? It says the Spirit descends on him like as a dove. Got to pause there, and I ask you seriously, I don't want to sound disrespectful, do you believe that the Holy Ghost lives in the nest up in heaven? No. No, <laughs> no I was, uh, that was the uh, term of action. It was the term of action. Like a dove descending. There was some manifestation of power and glory that is known to be the Holy Spirit of God. Whether it was an actual dove form or whether it's the allegorical term, the motion of the dove, I won't even dispute that because it doesn't make any difference. But it's, I think you're right. God is giving John a sign. He wants John to know that this is the Son of God. Because he knows that in a little while, John's going to be in prison and he's going to be saying, is this really Messiah? I need to know. John, your ministry is about to dwindle. Just like that. 
You're going to go from here to here. And John said, that's perfectly fine because he's worthy. I'm not worthy to give him latches, shoelaces. John, I want you to know this is the one that I've told you about. You're the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Repair the way of the Lord. This is the Lord. This is Messiah. Behold the Lamb of God. So John, I need you to be absolutely sure this is the Son of God. As Jesus comes out of the water, the heavens are open. The Spirit descends like a dove on him. Does it sound kind of like on the day of Pentecost? Hold on. What happened on the day of Pentecost? Quickly. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And there appeared unto them flowing tongues like as of fire. And it set on each one of them. Fire like a dove. It's the same spirit. How many times have you seen someone receive the Holy Ghost in this lifetime? Can you even count? I can't count. Have you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Do you know it's real? Come on. Is the Holy Ghost real? Oh, it is real. Have you ever seen cloven tongues like as a fire come out of heaven and sit on each one? There are reports. Some have seen it occasionally, really rarely. But for the most part, we receive the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues, the Spirit of God gives the utterance. That part's the same. But we don't get the cloven tongue like as a fire. And we don't get the rushing mighty wind. Does that mean that we didn't receive the Holy Ghost? Peter said, and the Jews that were with him, said, they received the Holy Ghost just like we who were in Jerusalem. They didn't get fire in Cornelius' house. They didn't get the wind blowing in Cornelius' house. But they received the Holy Ghost. They spake in tongues. They glorified God. And Peter and the Jews said they have received the same Holy Ghost that we have. So just because something happens once as a sign does not mean that it's going to happen every single time. When Jesus was baptized, it was a sign to John. What was God trying to confirm to John? He was, this is my son. This is the son of God. So the sign will be tailored to where you know that he is the son of God. And John, you're going to see the spirit coming down from heaven like as a dove. Hold on. Does the spirit have flesh? No. Does the spirit have bones? No. Does the dove have flesh? Does a dove have bones? Mm -hmm. Is the spirit a dove? No. no. It's a representation. It's a manifestation. Eternal, invisible spirit of God. Let's John, who can't see spirits, see something that he can recognize and know. This comes from God. It's the spirit of God. Did John see the Spirit of God that day? Did John see the Spirit of God that day? Yes. No. Respectfully. You can't see a spirit. Did John see a representation of the Spirit of God? Yes. 
So if you try to build a doctrine around the dove being the Holy Ghost, my friend, I'm sorry, he wasn't the Holy Ghost. May have been a representation. He was a representation of the Holy Ghost, but he's not the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost is a spirit. Now, the voice. Who's the voice? God. God. It's God. Does it call him God the Father? No. No. Well, how do we know he was the Father? Because he said, "This is my son. This is my son, or this is my beloved son." Do you actually see the Father? No. Is there any image of the Father? No. All you hear is a voice. God, who cannot be seen, gave John a temporary revelation saying, Hey, man, this is my son. And I want you to know because you can't see, I'm going to let you see a representation of the power of the Holy Ghost. You're going to hear my voice thundering in the heavens. Only you are going to understand what it says. I'm telling you, this is my son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Maybe that was the transfiguration when he says beloved son. I'm sorry. You may have confused those two verses, but it's the same thing. Okay. It's the eternal spirit of God in his role as father. Talking about himself, his revelation as the son, remember the flesh and the voice that comes from heaven. We know it's the father as a spirit, but there's also only one spirit. So what he sees is not the actual spirit, Holy Spirit. It's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit will send like this. Again, not denying that it's the Holy Spirit. I'm just telling you that it's God in his role as the spirit of God manifesting his unction, his ownership, his personhood of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. Sorry. Quickly, it's 10 after yeah. 9. <laughs> well, you were talking about uh, 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 about Jesus being named after the, his father. Mm -hmm. And that uh, and that the it was a custom of the day that the, the, they would name the son after the father. Why did they why did they insist that that John the Baptist would be named John if his father was Zechariah. They did they yeah. insisted name him Zechariah. I know. But why the did they insist on naming John? Because the angel told John. Okay. Told Zechariah his name will be called John. Okay, so I'm just saying the angel commanded. The angel commanded. All, all good guys are named that. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so the angel I mean I was just you know yes, broke precedent. Yeah the, the, the midwife was saying him Zachariah, Elizabeth said no. It's gonna be named John. Mm -hmm. They thought she was delirious. Mm -hmm. Call Zachariah. Mm -hmm. He comes and he writes his name. His John. Was the angel. Today, world, we would say we made a deal. Mm -hmm. That was the deal. Exactly. You agree to keep your mouth shut, <laughs> and I'll do the work on your wife. And but you have to call him John. Bingo. That's the deal. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Questions, folks, quickly. I know it's late. It's good I didn't study. go two hours this time. No, only went but, you know, it's, it's good. It's been a good study. A good study. Is this helping? Yes. Very much. 
That's a lot to talk about, folks. But I want you to go, and when you read your Bible this week, every time you see a pronoun or a title or the name, I want you to kind of jot it down, at least in your mind, not on paper. Write it down. Is he talking about the Spirit of God, the Father eternal? Is he talking about the Son of God in redemption, the Lamb of God, the one who died on the cross, who is our, he's called our Redeemer, he's called our Savior, uh, he's called the Son of God, he's called the Son of Man. Is he talking about the Holy Ghost? Again, the phase of God's revelation to us. Is he talking about before Jesus Christ came? Is he talking about what happened during the ministry of Jesus Christ, which is redemption? And, friend, redemption will never go away. The role of the Son will go away because at some point, redemption's done. At some point, mm -hmm. the blood is done and judgment comes. That's when he puts down the role of the Son. It'll be absorbed into God. Yeah, he's going to, it's it's just, it says something yeah. about all power return back to the Father. Of, yes, all power given me heaven of that power will return to God, the eternal spirit. So it's it's the phase of God's revelation. Think of it that way, okay? For Christ, eternal spirit. During the ministry of Christ, the flesh, the Son of God. Afterwards, the Spirit of God coming back in the form of the Spirit. And again, I'm going to hold you to this. Whatever we study and whatever terms we use must come from the scriptures and only the scriptures. I don't want philosophies. I don't want arguments. I don't want councils. I don't want something that somebody cooked up, thought up, put together. I want to go to the word of God. I say that with all sincerity and with all respect. The word is the word. And when we're talking about these things with work, I keep looking up your point. And the, the titles which were up here, these are talking about God. And I use all respect. I use some levity. I hope you understand I'm not making light of God or making fun of God in any way. But I want you to understand the revelation of God in Christ. Yeah. There are myriad things to talk about when it comes to understanding God. Do we understand God in his fullness and his entirety? No way, no how, never will we fully understand God because he is God. And we are man. And even when we're with him, our understanding will be limited because we're still not going to be God. We're his children. But what we do understand about God, we need to come to a good, clear, crisp understanding. Is it important what I'm teaching? Maybe this seems like just exercises. No, my friend. This is foundational your faith. I need you to understand that when you are faced with a devil that he's casting out, do you have a list real quick? Or do you have to put it away? Got it? Right, come on, Elder, come on. Let's close me out here. But I want you to understand this. That if you are faced with a devil that needs casting out, I don't want you to have to go through your mind and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Do I do it in the name of the shepherd, the name of the creator, the name of the chief cornerstone, the name of the Holy Ghost, the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Lord, the name of the Spirit of Christ? I need you to know that you have the right name. Jesus. The power is tied to the name. When you cast out devils, you do it in his name. When you lay hands on the sick, you do it in his name. If you pick up any deadly thing, 
shall not hurt you. Why? Because you're doing it in his name. And whatsoever you do, do it in word and deed. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.